Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for this episode of Learning, Lifting, Leading Social Equity for and by Black and Brown Girls and Women. My name is Jen Grimmett, and with us today is Dr. Sharon Ellis Davis, affiliate professor at McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago and trainer with the Faith Trust Institute in Seattle, Washington, speaking on the topic of violence against women and girls. So thank you for joining us today, Sharon. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. So to help our listeners gain a better sense of what brings you with us today to speak on this topic, could you tell us a little bit about your background and the work that you do? Sure. You know, first, I, I always want to start with the full disclosure that starting this work um, has its basis in me being a survivor of, of sexual and domestic violence and um, being a part of two institutions that uh, I greatly loved and that I gave to this point almost practically half of my life to and maybe you know one of the systems all my life. And, and that is the, the church and the black church in particular. And as a, um, a retired Chicago Police Department where I gave 31 years and five months and five days of my life to. And, uh, of being a survivor of sexual and domestic violence, one of the things that, that I learned was that it was not easy to depend on those two very important systems uh, to, to respond to my need. Either uh, one didn't care, or one cared and didn't know what to do, or both uh, might have been part of the, the patriarchal structure that uh, cared less about the victimization of women in many ways. And, and I ask myself, if I can't depend on these institutions, especially in the uh, department, uh, to protect me, and I'm part of it, you know, what are other people that are suffering, uh, experiencing, that, uh, 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 that, that, that they would rely on these departments, to these systems to help them through, navigate through the issues that they had. And so that's how I got started. Uh, with the work and started working with um, uh, shelters mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and asking them the question, uh, uh, why are you not letting people's faith be a part of, of the shelter movement? And of course I knew that answer and, and, um, and that was because of the misuse of scripture and, and the dependence on scripture in ways that weren't, uh, weren't healthy for victims, especially in, in domestic violence shelters. Mm -hmm. And I talked them into allowing me just to come in and be part of that 40-hour training because faith is important. And, and, to, and, and to find a, a way to, to begin a healthy conversation with advocates and, and survivors around their faith and, and how faith can be uh, what we now call, uh, in working with Faith Trust Institute, a resource and how it can be a resource and not a roadblock. Then the language wasn't as intelligent, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, I didn't have a language for it then. And then I went on to, um, to, to begin that work professionally, uh, beginning to, to just uh, study in, in, uh, the, in getting my Master's of Divinity from Chicago Theological Seminary and, um, and then going for a Doctor of Ministry at McCormick Theological Seminary, where I, I presently serve as an affiliate professor, uh, going there in the, in the late 90s. And uh, the Doctor of Ministry program is a practical degree program. And so it was a, a program where you received a doctor of ministry degree after, after you do an actual project in ministry. And for me, that project was to start a faith-based uh, domestic violence ministry in my home church in Chicago. 
And, and part of that was is that the church has not been a helpful place. And by beginning this ministry here, uh, it will begin that process of being a helpful place to, to survivors of sexual and domestic violence uh, where they can provide um, care, they can provide resources. And so I began that program uh, there and then went on later to get my Ph.D. because as we do this work, we find more and more complications. And, and that's where the race, class, and gender issues came uh, into play and other, other interlocking systems of oppression that were bumping against uh, 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 survivors, victims of interpersonal violence, sexual violence, and beginning to uh, do that work on a, on a larger level. And where Faith Trust Institute came in is it, it began to answer my question, how do we address the church in, in terms of some of the abuse that's there? And um, we began the process uh, there of training, of providing boundary training to churches for clergy. Uh, and one of those boundary areas that we focused a lot on was sexual uh, misconduct and and teaching healthy boundaries uh, to leaders, faith leaders, especially clergy, within the um, within the church setting, and also doing uh, domestic violence uh, training for um, for churches to help understand how we navigate with the church issues of sexual and domestic violence. So that's how I got started and. Um, eventually published the book and just doing the work and learning more and more about that work every day. It's not easy. It's difficult. There are so many dynamics in working with this area that I uh, can't say I enjoy, but it's a call. It's a call to do that work. I didn't pick it and it picked me. And um, doing that work has been um, uh, fruitful because I've had the opportunity to work with clergy and to work with people that are going to be in contact with, 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 with uh, survivors and victims, and they can possibly be perpetrators uh, and be able to kind of stop that on the forefront and prevent that from happening in any kind of way or to influence these systems in any kind of way uh, is fulfilling. Thank you. I'm wondering, so it may be, in, you know, thinking about the two main organizational structures that you've touched upon, the church and um, the police police department. Um, it may feel like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the police department, like, why would, well, it feels somewhat logical that the law, law enforcement might not be the most helpful place for supporting survivors. But I'm curious to know more about why the church as an organization, why, like how it is not, what does that look like? Well, I guess first I, I, I want to, to say in terms of the police department, it should be, uh, as well as the church, it should be. And there's no reason why it can't be. And so uh, I, I would not, excuse the police department no more than I would excuse the church uh, from being exempt to the fact that that's what they're there for, that that's part of their job, the, the police department to serve and protect and for the, the church to, to serve, to serve and, and comfort and, and strengthen and fortify and, and to heal and not hurt. And so that's, that's who the church is. But what I found in, in both institutions, especially, and, and I'm going to talk specifically about the black church and I, I get my finger quote fingers up <laughs> because because that varies but mm -hmm. I, I want to talk about the black church of my experience and maybe a little bit about the historical church 
when I talk about this, uh, the, okay. the churches that stood up for civil rights and the, the churches who, who formed liberation the, uh, theological churches that talked about the uh, liberation movement and, 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 and helping us to address issues of, of, of racism in, in, within our community. I'm talking about those kinds of churches and um, that are already established themselves historically and um, contemporary as people that, that understand justice, that understands um, what we need to be doing, that understand that we as a church need to be the moral consciousness of, uh, of when things go wrong and be that voice. And, and that voice is, is slowly slipping away. Mm. And, and I'm certainly talking in generalities because that doesn't happen in all cases. But to just, to just, to just make my point, um, allow me to talk in generalities. Because um, when it comes, my experience and the experience of women that I've worked with over the years is that the church has not been a safe environment. It has not been a safe environment for uh, black women um, between the preaching that, that subjugates uh, black women and girls, uh, the, the, the church that police women's bodies and, and what they wear to church, the police who's, uh, the, I mean, the, the church who's um, preaching and teaching uh, 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 can focus heavily negatively on women and apply that to women, whether we're talking about Jezebel or whether we're talking about uh, uh, Pontifer's wife and whether we're talking about the, the woman that's caught in the middle of adultery or whether we're talking about um, uh, Adam and Eve, somehow women get to be the blame mm -hmm. for, for all of these calamities that happen. And so what we, hear, what we hear in the church itself, and I heard from a child, is that women had a certain place within the church. And that place was to, number one, be policed so that we will not tempt men. You know, so therefore, we're, you know, we're required to dress a certain way. Uh, we're blamed if we if, if if women get pregnant, you know, and they're out of wedlock. That's our fault. We're brought to the front of the church and exposed for that kind of sin, you know. Uh, 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 just like the woman caught in the midst of adultery, you know, there was no man drug to the uh, public square, but a woman was, you know, in terms of uh, uh, her committing, and that's that's kind of been the the uh, milieu by which uh, black women. And again, I'm talking generalities have been reared in the church. And on top of that, being able to hear songs of, of not being worthy. And so those kind of set the pace of we're not worthy. I often when I'm doing a, a training in sexual and domestic violence, I, I talk about songs all the time and what what women hear that um, men don't hear. And, and, and we know that when it's specifically for us. And, and um, I talk about some of the secular and the sacred songs uh, um, because I love music. And, and songs like, um, uh, what you won't do for love, you try everything, but you don't give up. You know, we're shaking our head and women are like swinging our head around and, you know, <laughs> just going all up in there. And I said, what men hear is, you know, there's 50 ways to leave your lover. Just jump on the bus, Gus, make a new plan, stand. Don't need to be corduroy. Just listen to me. Hop on the bus. You don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the keys and set yourself free. And we're still seeing, you know, what you won't do, do for love. And so somehow we learn in the secular world and in the, the faith community that it's our job to fix it. That if we're, if we're raped or sexually abused, there's something that we did that caused that. Uh, uh, men's behavior has been excused uh, uh, as, as 
you know, boys being boys, but women had a certain way. And we were blamed. And, and historically, that even happened during slavery. I'm, I'm, um, there's a book that's called um, uh, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. And I was reading that book one day, and, and as I was reading it, uh, uh, I was writing DV for domestic violence and crying, reading about women in slavery. Because that same kind of thing was happening. Women were being raped, and uh, uh, um, children were being taken away from them, and all kinds of, of, of um, violence was being perpetrated on them. And in the midst of slavery, there was testimonies of, of, of African men blaming the woman from being raped by the slave master, the ones in total power. There was still an expectation of fidelity even in that community. And so that has, that has traveled with us. That has traveled with us uh, uh, genetically. It's traveled with us uh, uh, verbally. And that's what I believe many women have been exposed to in the church that has kind of set the scene, that have kind of set the stage for when these things happen to us, whether we've been sexually violated as a child or whether we've been sexually violated uh, as an adult, whether we've been ab abused by our husband or abused by our boyfriend, that somehow that gets excused and, and, and somehow that gets to be justified and somehow that gets to be overlooked. And, 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 uh, and, and, and so the church in general has not been that kind of place. Where, where women can and girls can expect to be safe. And, and that does not even include all of those ways in which um, many women have been abused by the very clergy, uh, sexually abused by the very clergy that is supposed to care and, and, and is supposed to have trust. And so the dynamics of all of these institutions, whether it be the police department, whether it be the uh, uh, church, whether it be Street church, I call that church after church, where we gather on the, on the sidewalks, whether it be in our homes. When I, when I start speaking about the black church, it's everywhere. It's in all of these systems where people are encouraging us to, you know, to do something to prevent something from happening to us as if there's something we're doing that's causing it in the first place. And so it's systemic. And so for me, the black church doesn't even mean a building anymore. It just means all of us who have been influenced by that rhetoric and mm -hmm. been influenced by that kind of system that says men on top, women on the bottom, you know, and that's how they kept us all these years. And, and um, there's been no place. And then we go to the church and we hear all of that abuse and we hear it uh, 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 spit out at us in the gospel. And then we give them money and, and say, thanks for hurting me. And, and um, it's ludicrous. Mm. Thank you for sharing that perspective. It's a powerful message. And I think from my perspective, a much needed furthering of dialogue. You know, when we talk about violence against women and girls, you've talked about domestic violence and sexual violence. Are there other manifestations that we should be talking about? Well, certainly sexual violence and, and interpersonal violence, and, and both of those are intertwined with, with one another. We have to, we, it has not been talked about, as far as I'm concerned, as um, thoroughly 
as it should be discussed. And, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking from a, an African-American black context when I, when I say this, that it has not been discussed in the places where it needs to be discussed. And for me, and that's in the black church, that we have, we have not talked seriously enough about the historical culture of the black church that, as I said earlier, that makes the environment ripe for a rape culture, that makes the environment right for mean-spirited preaching that demonizes women and demonizes women's bodies and demonizes women's sexuality. There has not been enough conversation about that. And, and we were reared, I was reared in the, in the system called the church, which is where I depended on, on that being addressed. And so, so for me, you know, I, the violence is done in prisons. The violence is done in the police department. The violence is done in the criminal justice system. The violence is, is so connected. But we have not done enough within our own culture to seriously dig down deep and say, you know, I, I love activists because they do the right now work. But we, we're not going to move in doing just the right now work if we don't, if we don't dig into the cultures that have, that have got us to this place in the first place, that have gotten to this, this place where we have even been vulnerable. I've done work with, with, with women who never even thought one iota that they were not good enough, who never thought, was never raised, you know, where, 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 where they would allow anybody to put their hands on them or put them in a position or a place to be uh, sexually violated. And, and those are people who weren't in historically black churches, mm. you know, that, and their experience might not even have been churched. And so somewhere, somewhere we have failed a whole lot of people. And, and, and we have not dug deep enough in to find out why have we done this and how have we done this so that we can really begin to change that culture mm-hmm. and, 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 and look at it. And so I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but I, but I believe that's where my passion is. You know, that I cannot, I cannot speak about sexual and domestic violence, interpersonal violence. I can't just talk about that. Mm-hmm. I have to talk about the criminal justice system. I have to talk about policing. I have to talk about black church culture. I have to talk about child rearing. I have to talk about women who go to prison and, and, and are re-traumatized. That these, these, for me, are not isolated conversations. And I can't have a conversation. Maybe early in the 80s I could, because I was just evil and mad and, 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 and hurt and all those kinds of traumatic things that were going on in my life that I didn't want to talk about anything else. But now, you know, I'm at a place where I, I, wanna, I want to really uh, challenge these systems and, and challenge us to look at how we got this way. You know, I don't know of any other uh, uh, dis-ease or epidemic that happens in our society, especially in the biology field, you know, and that's one of my fields of study in, in college, where we don't try to figure out First, we need to know how the body is made before we can figure out what's wrong with it. You know, we don't just go in attacking the pathology. We have to know the structure of the body. We have to know what each part of the body was supposed to be doing and why it's not doing it anymore. And, and so uh, 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 to, 
to, to look at these systems and not say, this is how we got here and this is how we need to, to think about getting out, uh, is, is violent all by itself. Because all I'm doing is sending someone back into an area where they can be re-traumatized. And so when I think of, yeah, of course there's the, the violence of, 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 of violating someone's body. But violating someone's soul and violating someone's mind and violating someone's spirit, much of that happens way before any other abuse that we allow to happen to us uh, begins to happen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's where you wanted me to go, but that's where I wanted to you know, go with no, that because... I think that that is exactly where I wanted to go. You know, some very important points that you made looking at how structures, whether that's a building or a group or an individual, that violence against women and girls comes in all sorts of forms. Emotional violence and physical violence. And I think I thank you because I feel that was a very good explanation of kind of teasing out some different aspects. So thank you. Great. Thank you. (laughs) So in looking at how gendered and racial disparities move together and how they relate to the experiences of women and girls of color, um, whether it be at the individual level or, you know, within a community setting. And I'll let you kind of define like what that community setting might be. Uh, let, let me give you um, an example of this. Maybe I'll give you one police example and maybe I'll give you one a church example. Okay. I was, I was married to a police officer and uh, I was a police officer. And that, that, that relationship ended up being an abusive relationship. And in that relationship, I knew that, that I would be killed by my husband. And I knew that my husband would get away with it. Because I was smart enough to know that something was wrong, as my great aunt said, something wrong with that boy. <laughs> so I, 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 I knew something was wrong with him, but I was in deep and, and, and couldn't figure out how to get out of it, and, and especially being afraid. And so going to the police department um, and wanting to, them to get ahead of this for me, I was not able to convince them that it was a serious problem. And uh, one of the things that they said about um, 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 him was that he was a good officer because he made plenty of arrest. And so the criteria for, for being a police officer became, um, became aggressive. Um, that's a job's trait. Uh, being able to make a lot of arrests and lock people up, job skill, job trait. But being able to uh, not hit women, not abuse women, not shoot women, um, that didn't seem to be uh, a very important um, uh, value for the police department. And so all they could tell me was, he did not, you know, I don't, you know, he, he makes good arrests, I don't know. Maybe you all need to stop. And so it became a, again, something that I need to stop doing to make that person stop doing that. And so that was very gendered. He never got 
uh, brought in for his craziness, I did. He never had to take a, a volunteer lab, a, a lie detector test to, to prove that he wasn't doing um, this to me. I did. He never uh, got accused falsely of any crime by me. I did of him. He never had to go to jail and be fingerprinted while he was a police officer. I did. And so um, when I think about all of those dynamics that happened there, and I think about the community at large, and I think about how the impact happens of women reporting abuse already, uh, 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 the, the whole issue of protecting black men is one thing. But the other, the other issue is nobody's going to believe me in the first place. When I look at what happened with, with, with I can't remember the, doctor, the, the doctor's name, the lawyer who um, you know, went against Kavanaugh and told her story and how she was vilified. Nobody wants to, to be in that position uh, to have to tell their story of violence and abuse and, and, and the most intimate part of their lives to communities that don't want to hear them. And that's what happened in the police department with me and other women. And that's what happens in communities. That's what happens in male-dominated societies. And wherever you go, uh, we're faced with that dilemma to tell or not to tell because we're not going to be believed. And so what that happens is it continues that cycle of violence within communities where we don't we don't tell. We, we, we've learned to have secrets. We've learned to overprotect men. We've learned to, um, um, to, to just grin and bear it, to take it, uh, to, to be there. And how that translates to the church is the same thing, because there was a term that we used in the church called standing in the gap. And I can't tell you how many women have come and said, but I got to stand in the gap. And, and what that means in the, in the uh, black context that I've learned, I'm not sure how it is in other contexts, ethnic context, which means I have to stand there. I have to stay there with him. And I have to put up with what he's doing to me because God is working on, God is working on this person. And, and I have to stand there and be that person that's going to stand there and be with him. I was on drug once and I'm not anymore, but I need to stand in the gap for this one, you know, because that's what God is calling me to do. And so those messages collide from the church and from that system called the police department. It falls into community and it tends to dictate a woman's life in ways that are so different uh, from men. And then we pass that down in mm -hmm. our brokenness to our children. And so they learn how to do the same thing. They learn how to protect. They learn how not to um, uh, uh, make waves. They learn to keep secrets. You know, they learn all those things. And so they're, they're ripe for growing up and becoming um, uh, victims themselves because we've taught them how to do that because the system forced us to do it. So one of the things, and it's not in the notes I sent, but it is one of the narratives that has emerged over and over and over again through these conversations that I've um, engaged with is the stereotype, different folks have used different like kind of adjectives, but stereotype, myth, um, stigma of the strong black woman and how in some ways it can certainly keep folks going, right? 
But others have really highlighted some ways that that myth, stigma, stereotype, whatever, you know, is a meaningful prefix to that for you can be damaging and perpetuate situations just as you're describing. What are your thoughts on that? If that's it. Uh, um, those myths of, of this, the strong black woman, the, the myth of the, 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 the superwoman, the myth that, oh, you all can do everything. And, um, you know, one of my favorite cigarette commercials, I was speaking to um, a group of young people, and I'm not young anymore. I'm in a, a whole different category with lots of memories of the past. So I started talking to this group of young people about the, uh, the cigarette and uh, the cigarette commercial. And um, um, it was, I, I think it was, you come a long ways to get where you got to today. You got your own cigarettes. Now, baby, we come a long, long ways. And, and we begin to, they looked at me blank. And they says, oh, <laughs> we've never heard a cigarette commercial before in our lives. <laughs> and so we laughed about that. But, but we have gotten those messages from television. We have gotten the message uh, from my favorite shows, like the Brady Bunch that came on in my days, you know, that... And what you see, you know, that happens, that these, 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 these families merged and this woman is the one that's holding all of this together and helping to solve all the problems. And, you know, and that she can, you know, make this man feel like he's just the, the stereotypical strong male while we kind of sit back and not let our light shine because we want to push them ahead because we're that strong woman. And, and between the media and between uh, the men, who bestow that title on us so that we can help them be who they want to be. And so we're needing love so much that we hear, oh, you're a strong woman. I, you know, it's just amazing how you do all of that and how you keep me together and how you don't let me fail. And, 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 and we're just racing around trying to be this everything to, 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 to the men you know, in our lives, our husband and even our sons, so that we can be, we can be appreciated, so that we can be loved. And so we've embraced those titles in ways that we should not have so that we can be loved, so that we can be respected. And maybe we won't be even beat in our, you know, in our lives, is that they will love us enough for what we have done to sacrifice by embracing all of those stereotypes. But, in, in, you know, for me, in the, in the broadest sense of the word, these terms of the strong black woman were put there to make us loyal hmm. and loyal to, the, to, to a fault, to a fault of, that, that has cost us our life, that has cost us our bodily integrity, that has cost us our sanity, that has cost us uh, uh, our sense of confidence that we can we can be and do and, 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 and accomplish because our job is to make sure that that person in our life, that, that man, is, has all that he needs. And, and, and we've embraced it. And, and we've suffered for it. And we'll continue to suffer for it until we, we reject that. You know, the, 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 there are some things that we need to deconstruct in our mind and our hearts. And uh, one of those is that, 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 that the world depends on us to save it. And I'm starting to hear that um, 
in these elections now, where if it wasn't for the black women are doing this and the, the black women are carrying the vote, make the men get their asses out there and vote. You know, don't, <laughs> don't just, don't just, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. You know, the black women saved, the black women are this and the black women are doing this. And I, you know, and I kind of trigger back to this, oh, now we're getting ready to depend on the black woman again to save this nation. You know, we're always saving everybody but ourselves. And um, it's, it's time, it's a time out for that. How do we work together to break that cycle? Oh, that's a big question. How do we work together to break that cycle? I, you know, I think that we need to, and this is not a new statement, but we need to really hear it, that, that men have to realize that women are 50% their ally. And, and that hasn't happened yet. Uh, the, the, the equality that should happen between uh, black men and black women are not uh, where they ought to be. And, and, and uh, that, that has to happen. One of the ways I believe we do that in, in, our, in our churches is that we have to realize that while you're fighting against racism, you better damn well include sexism and gender issues. And, and, and issues around gay, lesbian, and, 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 trans, and transgender folk that are in your congregation. That we, you know, that if you warn us for an ally against racism, and certainly we have to protect our own uh, selves also, because women are, are, are survivor victims and, uh, of racism and all the aggression that men are. But it's been put out there as if um, men are the only victims. You know, we talk about that all the time. And when I talk to black men in the classes that I teach, um, it's always back to what men are suffering. And I'm, I don't want to diminish what people are suffering. People are allowed to tell their own suffering. But it's always on top of some, a woman trying to talk about her suffering. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to one-up this suffering. I'm going to one-up this suffering. I'm going to one-up this suffering. And we have to begin to see ourselves equally as allies of one another. So we have to include gender issues in, in racism conversations. We just can't leave out uh, gender issues. And uh, in the police department, I'll give you an example of that. We had a group called the African American Patrolmen's League in the police department. And that group uh, was always the watchdog for black folks in the police department and generally led by men. And they went to negotiate um, promotional exams for us in the police department to get more so that we can, uh, under the affirmative action and all the other clauses that exist to, to help promote uh, black people, they advocated for that and, and, and they won. But you know what they won? They won that, that men would be in a, black men would be in a category all by themselves and they left us out. And what happens is that women, all the women were placed in one category but they placed themselves as a separate category. So therefore, the promotions that happened under that system uh, were mostly black men. Uh, we keep getting let out, left out, and nothing is going to happen that's positive as long as that uh, continues to happen. We have to include who we all are gendered. We have to begin to look at the ways in which we've been gendered, men and women. Men and women, because those expectations are too high, for men and for women in areas, in, in, in terms of, uh, when I say too high, I don't mean in terms of unattainable, but too high in terms of 
in the in the in the in the the genre in which we live, and men are gendered to be breadwinners, and unemployment is at a, a rocket low, and they can't be breadwinners. What happens? You know, and so uh, uh, these roles for for men and these roles for women, and who can have dolls and who can't have dolls, and and all of these kind of gendered things that we do. We have to begin to move away from that and, 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 and begin to learn new ways of being together, new ways of, of talking about those issues, new ways of negotiating um, who we are as women, men, uh, 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 same gender, non-gender conforming, whatever, however we see ourselves in community, we have to become each other's ally mm -hmm. and not each other's enemy. And, and I think that's the initial work that has to be done. And in, in the meantime, uh, activism has to continue to happen because we can't sit back and, and, and wait for someone to come to themselves to make this particular change. I think that you apply the term toxic masculinity, or maybe I was just thinking that. Yes, yeah, but that's saying. what I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you have the you know, social contract of what it means to be a man. Right, And then you have the additional contract of what it means to be a black or brown man. And like the, all of that folded in together. How does that, or in, in what other ways does it perpetuate violence against black and brown girls and women? In what other ways does it perpetuate violence against black and brown women? The expectations. Because when, when we don't live up to the expectations of how we've been gendered, it can cause violence. When um, men can't live up to the expectations in the ways that they've been gendered, it can cause violence. And so the, the whole structure itself is, is set up to fail. And it's not inherently who we are as African people when we talk about uh, 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 the heritage uh, that comes out of Africa. You know, and so it's not who we, it's not how we, it's westernized. And, and Western, Western culture put on us what we could not live up to because they did not allow us to live up to it. And they said you got to live by the same expectations and this is how it is. And so we have to find another language for, for how we are together. And that takes work. And, and I've, always, uh, I've always said that we have to come out of that victim language, women, especially. Uh, I, I never had a good appreciation for victims, for victim language, uh, because it, it allows people to say my victimization is more than your victimization, but it doesn't solve anything. And so we have to come out of that, that language uh, uh, to a point where we are not so um, tied to it that we can't find other ways to be, that we can't find paths to healing that we can't find paths to justice, that we can't find paths to, um, um, to learning how to, to coexist. You know, I'm probably one of the few ones that, that believe that our relationships, uh, adult relationships between black men and black women are in trouble. And um, I don't want to see that. I don't want that to happen. I don't want to see um, um, our children suffering from not having the benefit of, of both of their parents, whether it's in a marital relationship or whether it's um, just the fact that they're their parents and they want to be involved in their life. 
But I believe that's where we're moving. That's where we're moving. Because there's too much trauma, too much hurt, and not, a, not enough ways to begin to, to look at how we, can, how we can transform this and how we can um, be better. I, I think we can be better. So shifting gears a little bit, you know, we've talked about how folks experiencing violence, uh, how that can manifest in, you know, just in everyday experiences and everything. Everything, yes. So, you know, in thinking about young black and brown girls who are taking in that intergenerational historical traumas and the narrative that, you know, whether it be explicit or implicit. Yes. Right? Yes. So how does that, how have you seen that affect learning outcomes for young black and brown girls as they're moving through their educational experience? Wow. I think that's where we 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 find um, the trauma if we if we look for it. Um, I know plenty of, of of teachers in the school setting where children are already where children are already uh, at a deficit in learning in terms of educational um, quality education, a quality uh, material to learn from. Uh, uh, quality books, uh, uh, relevant books, and in terms of all the things that you need to have in place uh, to provide a, a quality environment for learning that we have not taken in, uh, serious enough the fact that even if we had that and we don't, that children are coming in already traumatized from uh, what has gone on in, um, in our families and what has gone on that we still haven't told anybody about. And uh, uh, schools where uh, immigrant children are trying to learn, but their mother is at home saying that, you know, I'm going to be deported. And, and um, a children whose who mother died and their children, or their mother is on drugs and they're coming to, the, um, they're coming to school. And it's impacting their ability to learn uh, because, because of the trauma. That they have experienced, and 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 it doesn't even mean that they've been sexually assaulted. It don't mean that they had their parents had uh, was experienced in domestic violence. Just the trauma of living, the trauma of of um, of not having the support that they need uh, to come there. The trauma of just listening to the news, and and uh, the trauma of seeing children tear gassed, you know, and and uh, um, the, the 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 hatred language that's going on. And then we send them to school and we say, okay, now learn. You know, we didn't even mention gun violence within the schools. And so uh, it's not set up for learning. And, and the, we're celebrating our children graduating from elementary school. Uh, that's my age, went from middle school. <laughs> and we see the trauma of them graduating from high school. We see them graduating. We're celebrating that. And we're seeing them graduate from college. But many of those people are not graduating sufficiently learned. And, and we're just happy they're graduating. Matter of fact, we're just happy they're alive. And so the, to, to say that they're living in, uh, in, in quality and, and that they've gotten rid of their trauma because they graduated from, 
from middle school or from high school or for college and because they're in their professional careers, you know, is, you know, we're always playing catch up. Mm-hmm. We're always playing catch up around our learning and we're playing catch up around our trauma. And none of that is conducive to us living our best lives, living a, a, an abundant life as we talk about in, 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 in our uh, church communities. None of it is, is helpful. And so teachers are struggling. Mm-hmm. Well, and so at the very beginning when we started um, talking, you were mentioning the different ways in which um, black and brown female bodies were being policed by the church. And, you know, as we're talking about the schools, you know, it started, you know, other images started coming to my mind about that is happening for our young black and brown girls with hairstyles, with choices in clothing. Oh my God, yes. And so what, like, that is a form of violence. Yes, That's it is. That's systemic violence. Yes, it is. And what if, you know, what... From your perspective, what effects do, does that have on their learning, on their social relationships? Sure. Well, when you learn that you're not good enough, when you learn that your hair is not standard, when you learn that your eye color is not standard, when you learn that your skin color is not standard, when you learn that your lips are not standard, when you learn that your nose is not standard, when you learn that your voice is not standard, that your diction is not standard, when you learn that your body is not standard in the way that it's shaped, you know, when you learn that your clothes are not standard, you begin to learn early in life that nothing about you is good. That nothing about you is good. And, and, and how does that impact your, your sense of self, your self-worth? How does that impact your self-esteem? How does that impact your ability to socialize? How does that impact your ability to to learn how to develop meaningful relationships? How does that impact your ability to have a significant other? Tremendously. It impacts it tremendously because we're already going into it realizing that we're not good enough. And then we learn that we get categorized because of that. We get shamed because of that. We get blamed because of that. Uh, and, and, it, and it has a tremendous impact. So it, it, it doesn't, again, as I said, it does not even set the atmosphere for learning. Teachers who separate, you know, children based on how they believe they're able to learn, based on what they see, mm-hmm. not based on what they've heard, not based on what they've experienced with them in, in terms of their own intellect and gifts, but just based on what they see. Some have stated that young black and brown girls are their bodies are policed at a higher rate than young black and brown boys in schools would you agree or disagree well i would agree i, I would i would agree simply simply because i haven't seen any stats that said that but i would i would assume because because women we we just tend to to think differently about our bodies and we we have pressure about our bodies and we have uh, pressure to look a certain way and to dress a certain way. And as I tell my husband, you can wear that doggone suit five weeks in a row and nobody ever asks you why you wore it twice. You know, I got to wear something to an event that I go to every single day. It's got to look different. 
Or somebody's going to say, didn't you have that on yesterday? You know, and so the pressure is there uh, for, um, for, for, for girls to be a certain way and look a certain way. And that's, not, that's unlike that it's there for boys. And so by that very nature alone, you know, we're there trying to, and then when it's too short or when it's too long or when it's homely looking, when we're not sexy enough and all those things that happen at a very young age. I'm not talking about sexy my age. I'm talking about sexy young age. When it's not all those things, uh, it, it impacts your social ability. Your, your social ability that, that if you're not what it's supposed to be, you know, you can be in, in, in great danger of being um, uh, dehumanized, you know, being uh, uh, socially criticized, being blamed, being shamed. And so all of those things will continue to happen. No, I don't think it happens at an alarming rate with boys, you know, with the exception that um, when you don't have clothes, period, and when they're not clean. And I think that black and brown children suffer from that kind of poverty more than, more than uh, normal. And so in that way, I think that they both have that, that struggle around, um, around what's socially acceptable. Well, you know, to end cap our conversation, um, I'm going to kind of loop back around to the beginning a little bit. As mentioned, the theme of the podcast is learning, lifting, leading, social equity for and by black and brown girls and women. And that is aligned with the 33rd Women's Conference that took place at Shaw University this past October. And what I'm putting to everyone is what suggestions might you have about how black and brown girls and women can be learning, lifting, and leading to bring about social equity? Yeah. You know, I, you know I'm thinking, when, when, I, when I was first thinking about that particular question, what came to my mind right away is, is education. You know, that, that we have got to educate our girls. You know, we have to empower our girls toward greatness. We have to help them re, reshape what society has taught them about themselves into positive narratives. We have to uh, instill in them uh, that, that they are, as we say in, in, in our congregation, fearfully and, and wonderfully made. You know, we have to um, help them to become civic-minded. You know, I, I, I had, um, I mentioned uh, to a young man who, I, who turned 18, I said, okay, you're going to go vote. He said, no, I'm not doing any of that. Right. You know, I, I don't, I don't, that, y'all concerned with that. I'm not concerned with any of that. I don't even know what's going on. So why do I need to go to the poll and vote? I don't know what's going on. I don't look at TV. I don't look at the news. That, that can't happen. You know, things are too serious now for us to not uh, find ways to help them to be more civic minded, to help them understand more. Because unlike me, when I was ignorant at, at 16, 17, and 18, I don't think that children can afford to be ignorant. You know, we're living in times of crises. And so we have to do that to help them to understand how knowledge is important, how being civic-minded is important. We have to, um, to get them to voting, to understand that they can make a difference within our society. We have to, to vote as families. We have to, to value um, uh, uh, them enough to say this is important to me and I want it to be important to you and so let us do this together. 
you know, let us walk into our power together and affirm that they're actually doing something that, that is making them stronger. Help, help, our, help our girls uh, to not think that it's all about looks, that there's a standard of beauty that they have to um, adhere to in order to be called beautiful. You know, we have to be intentional as adults with children when we look at young girls and we see one that is exceptionally, again, my finger quotes are up, exceptionally beautiful. And we go to that child to say how beautiful they are and they leave the one that's not exceptionally beautiful out of that conversation. We have to be intentional ourselves as adults to not do that. Uh, 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 watch our language. Oh, that's such a pretty black girl. That's a pretty girl. That's not a pretty black girl. And you may very well be admiring her darkness and admiring it. But to say that, you know, means that there's other black girls that are not pretty. And so we have to be also as adults, adults mindful. We have to, um, as adults, become advocates for our children. We have to know what's going on in their school systems. We have to know, uh, we have to, as I told my children, I will, you know, speak up for you, but you have to be truthful to me so that I'll know how to help you. And so we have to be advocates for our children. And when, when they're trying to label our children, when they're trying to say that they're not sufficient enough to learn, we have to make sure that we're advocates enough to go there and say, well, let me see why you're believing this and, 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 and prove this to me that they need to be in a special class or you just don't want to take the time to teach them. And so we have to, as adults, become, uh, become advocates for our children. We have to, um, uh, we have to work on, on issues of, of minimum wage and we, 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 have to, we have to work on the issue of poverty. You know, I remember there was a, a black man that, that, that said to me when I took my criminal justice class to a transitional house, he said, I looked out of my window and I knew that I wasn't supposed to be living this way. And that's what took him into a life of crime. Well, children know they're not supposed to be living a certain way either. And when we let them come, become comfortable in that way, without finding ways to advocate for, for higher wages and for affordable housing and for better living conditions, we have to challenge our systems. Again, there's a, there, there's a, a, a comprehensive approach that we have to do to empower uh, women and children that, that covers a spectrum. Wherever you see the problem, we may not be all responsible, but we're all accountable to do the work that we need to do so that our children will live healthy lives, so that we can be healed, so that we can help them to heal, so that we can empower them. We have to do that. And so wherever we find ourselves in society, since I started off saying that this is a societal issue, you don't have to say you're a, a sexual violence uh, uh, advocate or that you're a domestic violence advocate. People ask me, do I do that? And I said, no, I do justice. You know, and so wherever you find injustice rearing its ugly head, we need to have advocates and activists and people that are there to be on the front lines of making this system change. Because there's no history of ever a slave master saying, I want you to be free. It's always come from the bottom up that that happens. And we don't have to wait for a liberator. We can be our own liberator. And we have to do the work, you know, I believe that we have to do the work to get there. We're not all guilty, but we're certainly all accountable. Well, thank you so much for sharing your vulnerabilities and being patient with the, this conversation and guided process. Um, I 
really appreciate you taking the time to work contribute to this important work. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you asking me the questions. I appreciate all these notes I've taken that I haven't even looked at because you got to my passion. And when you get to my passion, I just have to go off script. So if I forgot something that I need to say, um, <laughs> this is what I needed to say. And if it doesn't help anybody else, it helped me. <laughs> well, I, I, I suspect that it will help a great deal of people. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Learning, Lifting, Leading, Social Equity for and by Black and Brown Girls and Women with our guest, Dr. Sharon Ellis Davis, affiliate professor at McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago and trainer with the Faith Trust Institute in Seattle, Washington. Special thanks for this podcast go to Shaw University, Elon University, and the Raleigh Apex branch of the NAACP for supporting this important work.